Welcome to our podcast, Oncology Morning Commute, Antibody Drug Conjugates in HER2 Positive Breast Cancer. Morning Commute is developed in collaboration with At Point of Care and Projects and Knowledge and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals and Daiichi Sanko Incorporated. In this episode, Dr. Tiffany Trena and Dr. Neil Iyengar discuss the exciting developments in antibody drug conjugate therapy and HER2 positive breast cancer. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash solid tumors one. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Trena is Vice Chair of Oncology Care in the Department of Breast Medicine Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. Iyengar is an Associate Attending Physician also in the Department of Breast Medicine Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. I am Candace Hoffman, Managing Editor of Morning Commute. Dr. Trena will begin our discussion. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Tiffany Trena, breast medical oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and I wanted to welcome you to our podcast and thank my colleague, Dr. Neil Iyengar, also from Memorial Sloan Kettering, for, for joining me today. Um, we're going to talk about antibody drug conjugates and HER2-positive breast cancer. Um, but first, I thought we'd start with the discussion around antibody drug conjugates in general, what they are, where their place is in the treatment of breast cancer patients. Um, and so maybe just to start out, I'm going to ask Dr. Iyengar um, to just speak a moment or two about the benefits of targeted therapy as opposed to our traditional cytotoxic chemotherapies. Um, and maybe tell us what an antibody drug conjugate is. Sure. Uh, thanks, Tiffany. It's such a pleasure to join Dr. Trena on this podcast. And uh, I'm happy to talk uh, to start off by talking a little bit about um, targeted therapies, particularly in the HER2 positive setting. Uh, and we've really seen quite the acceleration in the development of targeted therapies, not just antibody drug conjugates, but uh, in general, uh, as well as recent approvals for the treatment of HER2 positive breast cancer. So just as a brief overview, when I think about targeted agents in HER2-positive breast cancer, uh, we can work our way extracellularly to intracellular. And of course, we're all familiar with the antibodies that target HER2. So the classical antibodies trastuzumab and pertuzumab bind the extracellular domain of HER2, and that thereby blocks HER2 dimerization and association with HER3. We now have novel HER2-targeted immunomodulatory approaches, such as margituximab, which is essentially an engineered version of trastuzumab that has the added benefits of stimulating innate immune response and reducing variability in binding by overcoming FC receptor heterogeneity. We're also seeing the development of bispecific antibodies, which target multiple domains in the HER family, and ultimately inhibition of ligand-independent to her three association by whichever uh, means I just described uh, is associated with halting progression through the cell cycle. Now, one of the exciting areas that Dr. Trina mentioned uh, is antibody drug conjugates, which combine uh, protein targeting with the cytotoxic payload using unique linkers, which results in both halting the cell cycle as well as a direct cytotoxic effect. And I'm gonna be talking a little bit more about that uh, in a second. 
But I just want to close this part out by mentioning that when we move into the cell, we of course have the small molecule tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And there are several TKIs that have either been approved or are in development. They all target the intracellular domain of the HER family. I think historically we're, we're all familiar with lapatinib, which is a reversible inhibitor of HER2 and HER1 or EGFR. Neratinib is an irreversible pan-HER inhibitor, and tucatinib is a reversible inhibitor that is highly specific to HER2. Each of these TKIs have distinct toxicity profiles based on their receptor specificity, and there are other novel TKIs uh, that are currently being developed. That's a terrific overview of, of targeted therapy in general and in HER2 positive breast cancer. So I'm wondering if you could describe for us what what exactly are these antibody drug conjugates? And you know, are there any that we're familiar with that are kind of the paradigm for us to understand the new drugs that are in development? Yeah, absolutely. So an antibody drug conjugate is typically composed of a humanized monoclonal antibody with a specific protein target, such as HER2, as well as a peptide-based linker. The linker can be cleavable or not, which determines whether the payload can be released. Uh, and then, of course, payload, which is typically a cytotoxic drug. For example, uh, trastuzumab mtansine or uh, TDM1 is uh, one of the ADCs that many of us are familiar with. And this consists of trastuzumab covalently linked or irreversibly linked to the cytotoxic agent DM1, whereas trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, is a newer ADC with a cleavable tetrapeptide linker uh, where the monoclonal antibody trastuzumab is linked reversibly uh, to a potent topoisomerase 1 inhibitor uh, as the payload. That's a really great framework for us to understand how these drugs might work and, and also how they may differentiate themselves from one another. So maybe we spend a couple of minutes just setting the stage with um, TDM1, which we've had some experience with over the years, and just kind of telling us where that drug is right now, where are we using it, where its indications might be, um, before we branch off into talking about the new ones and how we incorporate them into our practice. Sure. So TDM1, is, as you mentioned, is a drug that I think we all have familiarity with. And uh, this is a drug that has pretty squarely been positioned uh, in the second line space for HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, uh, although we now have uh, the Catherine trial, uh, which has really moved up TDM1 uh, into the adjuvant setting for patients with uh, residual disease. So the Catherine trial was a phase three trial, which included patients with HER2-positive early stage breast cancer who were found to have residual invasive carcinoma in the breast or the axilla at the time of surgery after going through neoadjuvant therapy. And the neoadjuvant therapy had to contain a taxane and trastuzumab. In Catherine, patients were randomly assigned to receive adjuvant TDM1 uh, or trastuzumab, and it was for 14 cycles. The primary endpoint was invasive disease-free survival and at the interim analysis, uh, there were about 1,500 randomly assigned patients. The estimated percentage of patients who were free of invasive disease at three years was 88% in the TDM1 group and 77% uh, in the trastuzumab group. This translated uh, to an invasive disease-free survival benefit, which was significantly higher uh, in the TDM1 group than in the trastuzumab group 
with a hazard ratio of 0.5. It is important to note though, of course, patients do can ultimately um, progress. And this is of course why uh, we're now thinking about um, sequencing therapies in the metastatic mm -hmm. setting, especially if we're moving TDM1 up into the adjuvant setting. Well, that's just a perfect lead into talking about some of the new um, exciting FDA-approved antibody drug conjugates that we have for HER2-positive breast cancer. So maybe we can move on to introducing trastuzumab deruxtecan and maybe spend some time talking about Destiny Bresto-1, um, which really gave us that formative data to lead to an indication. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to think about uh, starting with trastuzumab deruxtecan. <laughs> Certainly it was Destiny Breast 01 that introduced this drug in a, in a fairly spectacular way, I would say. <laughs> this was a phase two multicenter study uh, of trastuzumab deruxtecan in HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, and all patients had previously received uh, TDM1. So in this phase two study, there were two parts. There was a dose finding stage and there was a safety uh, and efficacy stage. And the primary endpoint was objective response rate, though uh, secondary endpoints were interesting here and they were PFS overall survival and others. Uh, so just getting right uh, to the bottom line here, um, the confirmed objective response rate with trastuzumab deruxtecan was pretty impressive at 62%. Uh, which included 11 complete responses. The median progression-free survival was 19.4 months. And in the updated analysis with about 31 months of follow-up time, uh, the median overall survival was 29 months. So, so pretty impressive benefit uh, in this phase two trial. Absolutely. I think we all remember seeing those waterfall plots and they were really impressive to see and impressive you know, in treating our patients and seeing those responses. So that was really exciting data that rapidly led to um, approval for us to provide for our patients with HER2-positive disease. So where are we now with some of this hot off the presses data from Destiny Breast 03? And, and you know, do we finally have some comparative data as opposed to single arm results? Yes, so uh, great uh, point here because of course we, we want to see the randomized control trial. Uh, and that's exactly what Destiny Breast 03 was. This was the phase three trial comparing uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan to TDM1 with a progression-free survival primary endpoint. Uh, and I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, in Destiny Breast 03, in this trial, about 50% of patients had received one prior line of therapy. So these are patients that were receiving the study treatment in the second line, and the remainder were in the third line uh, or beyond. Another important note, I think, about this study population was that 22% of patients had stable brain metastases uh, at the time for uh, at the time of enrollment. So, in this trial, comparing the two arms, the hazard ratio for progression-free survival was pretty impressive at 0.28, favoring trastuzumab deruxtecan with one of the tiniest p-values I think we've seen in a long time. It was, it was uh, times 10 to the minus 22. Um, so pretty impressive there. And, and median progression-free survival was not yet reached in the trastuzumab deruxtecan arm, uh, whereas it was 6.8 months uh, in the TDM1 arm. So on the basis of these data, uh, as you mentioned, Dr. Trena, uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan is now an option. Uh, in the second line setting uh, and NCCN endorsed. And I should mention that the hazard ratio for overall survival 
was also significant uh, at 0.56 favoring trastuzumab deruxtecan. That's a fantastic summary. And I think we were all just so impressed with seeing that head-to-head data, sort of what we were really waiting on to see great randomized um, data against standard of care therapy. I also want to just call out something you mentioned that patients in Destiny Resto 3 could have had stable treated brain mets. Do we have other data, albeit maybe small series, about um, TDXD in patients with brain mets in the setting of HER2 positive disease? Yeah, that's a great question because, of course, brain metastases are a major issue for our patients with HER2 positive breast cancer. Uh, and we're starting to see some agents that do have uh, CNS activity. We do have a suggestion that uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan has uh, CNS uh, activity, both from subgroup analyses uh, from these larger trials, as well as um, from some smaller um, series. So, for example, Tuxedo was a smaller ser- uh, series that looked at CNS activity of uh, trastuzumab uh, deruxtecan. Uh, this was about 15 patients or so, but indeed there was uh, activity uh, of trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, in the CNS uh, with an objective response rate benefit for patients with, with brain metastases. That's such great news for our patients. As we know, this is all such an an unmet area of unmet need for sure with CNS metastases. So kind of moving on from the destiny portfolio of studies, we also just recently saw another antibody drug conjugate presented at a large annual meeting from the TULIP study. And I'm wondering if you could spend a little bit of time telling us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, um, the TULIP trial was presented at ESMO uh, this past year, and it was a phase three trial that was testing trastuzumab duocarmazine uh, versus physician's choice treatment uh, in HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. And we talked a little bit about um, ADCs and how they're comprised. Trastuzumab duocarmazine is a HER2-targeted ADC, and it's comprised of trastuzumab that's uh, covalently bound to a linker drug uh, that contains the payload. Now, interestingly, in this drug, it contains the payload as, as a prodrug. So after this ADC binds to HER2 and is internalized, uh, the linker is cleaved by proteases that then release the active drug duocarmicin, which is an alkylating agent. So you can think of this as um, trastuzumab with an alkylating uh, agent. Uh, And I think it's important to note here that proteases can actually be secreted by cancer cells and can be active extracellularly. So there may be some extracellular release of this payload as as well, which might contribute to to a bystander effect here. But getting back to the trial, Mm -hmm. um, the primary endpoint um, in in the TULIP trial was progression-free survival, as well as overall survival as a secondary endpoint and objective response rate. And in the PFS analysis, uh, median PFS was seven months uh, in the trastuzumab duocarmazine arm versus 4.9 months in the physician's choice arm, which was significant. The hazard ratio was 0.64. And in the first analysis, the difference uh, in overall survival was 20 months uh, in the trastuzumab duocarmazine arm versus 16 months in the control arm. It it wasn't uh, statistically significant just yet, but these data are are not quite yet mature for overall survival. So definitely seeing some activity uh, and a PFS benefit with this drug. 
Wow. I mean, that's just incredible. And we've heard about so many ADCs now, right? At least three that we've been talking about for her two positive breast cancer. Um, and in the absence of lots of head-to-head trials, I'm wondering if we can talk about some differentiators around toxicity for each of these agents, because they have some unique profiles um, and just help us in decision-making there. So maybe if we start with so TDM1 toxicity and then move into trasdurexican and then um, more recently the CID985. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, you really said it uh, the way that many of us think about it is that the differentiator for a lot of these drugs is not just efficacy, but certainly um, they're very different um, toxicity profiles. And TDM1, again, is probably the one that we have the most experience with. Um, and overall, I would say it's it's a pretty well-tolerated drug. Uh, the AEs that were reported in the trial were, were mild nausea, uh, early-grade nausea, uh, thrombocytopenia, uh, and transaminitis. Uh, there has been some peripheral neuropathy associated with TDM1 as well. And um, in addition, there can be um, rare hepatotoxicity um, with TDM1, specifically nodular regenerative hyperplasia. But this is, again, pretty rare. I think it was um, only uh, a few cases that were seen, uh, something like five in the metastatic trial in Amelia, uh, and uh, I think only about two cases in, in Catherine. So something pretty rare, but um, LFT monitoring is, is something that we do initially when using uh, TDM1. That's terrific. And now, so as we build upon that, um, are there some unique toxicities or adverse, adverse event profiles we need to be aware of and monitor any differently for a trastuzumab durextecan? Yeah, so certainly um, trastuzumab durextecan um, also has a unique toxicity profile. Again, this was generally well tolerated um, overall when we look at um, all grade um, toxicities, but I think the one that we all think about with trastuzumab durextecan is interstitial lung disease, uh, and you know this was this occurred in about 15% of patients in Destiny Breast um, 01, um, and there were five patients um, in Destiny Breast 01 uh, who experienced uh, grade five ILD. Um, now, the reassuring thing is that uh, the rate of ILD was actually a little better uh, in Destiny Breast 03, uh, and we're seeing supportive evidence from other trastuzumab can trials in, in other cancer subtypes to suggest that um, the ILD rate is not worse, certainly not worse, and, and probably a little bit better than, than what I just mentioned. And I think this has to do um, with being very vigilant. Um, these are, this is a drug where when I'm starting a patient on trastuzumab durexican, I'll, I'll ask the patient to let me know right away if they notice any respiratory symptoms, uh, like a new or persistent cough, for example, shortness of breath and so forth, because if you act early, ILD can be managed. And certainly that includes stopping the drug or um, holding it if you even suspect ILD, uh, and then imaging with high-resolution CT uh, and considering uh, systemic steroids uh, if you see any uh, changes like ground glass opacities uh, on the imaging that might be suggestive of, of ILD. 
I think those guidelines are so helpful to really be clear about because, um, you know, those incidental findings of ground glass opacity on a scan, I think we might have otherwise just disregarded or take a, a watchful waiting approach. But here, I think we do need to be really vigilant about that and intervene um, and be really aware of those management strategies, as you mentioned, like steroid use as well and holding drug and looking for resolution. Yeah, absolutely. Do you monitor with PFTs as well? I know some folks have asked about whether we should be changing our, our surveillance strategy. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we haven't gotten data yet uh, to suggest that PFTs are actionable when managing patients on trastuzumab deruxtecan. That being said, um, I do get PFTs at baseline. My pulmonology colleagues tell me that it can be helpful to have a baseline uh, set of, of PFTs when evaluating uh, patients subsequently if you suspect ILD. Great. Great information. Thanks. And and then tell us a little bit um, about adverse events around TULIP and SID 985. Was there anything unique there? Yeah. So um, this ADC um, had the interesting and unique toxicity um, of conjunctivitis and, and keratitis. And, you know, eye toxicity is not unheard of with, with ADCs, certainly a possibility but uh, eye toxicity was reported for 78% of patients uh, in TULIP who received uh, trastuzumab docarmazine, and it was uh, only about 30% uh, in the control arm. And I think what was perhaps a bit concerning was that it was grade three or greater um, for about 21% of patients, and 20% of patients actually had to discontinue um, the study drug because of, uh, of ITOX. And so I think it's really important that we think about partnerships um, with our ophthalmologists, maybe something we hadn't thought about before, but um, as we start to see some of these newer ADCs and particularly with, with this one, um, monitoring for and asking about symptoms of conjunctivitis and keratitis, you know, dry eye vision changes, uh, and so forth, and then working closely with our ophthalmologist to manage these toxicities is going to be important. I think you said that so beautifully. We, we've needed partnership with cardiologists and pulmonologists and now our ophthalmologists, so we're all in this together to best support our patients. Um, so, you know, I think we just have a couple of minutes left. This went so quickly, but, you know, in addition to the ADCs, there are a few other new drugs for HER2-positive breast cancer that have become available for our patients, things like Tucatinib and margituximab. And I'm wondering if in the last remaining moments, you can tell us your go-to sequencing strategy and how you envision using all of these drugs for our patients. Yeah, that's such an important <laughs> question and such a difficult question. Right. Um, but certainly, you know, a good place to be in now that we're actually um, having to scratch our heads about how do we sequence all these options that we previously didn't have. Um, and so, you know, I think for now, um, we still have Cleopatra that is firmly in the first line um, space. So, of course, taxane with trastuzumab uh, and pertuzumab. Um, but there is the ongoing Destiny Breast 09 trial, which is looking at trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, versus trastuzumab deruxtecan plus pertuzumab versus taxane, herceptin, pertuzumab in the first line setting. 
Uh, and so we may even see um, first line practice changing soon, but mm -hmm. certainly for now I'm using um, taxane HP uh, in the first line. Mm -hmm. In the second line, I think, is where we start to um, see some differentiation here. Um, we have several approved agents now. TDM1, of course, is available to us in the second line. Um, we now have trastuzumab deruxtecan based on uh, Destiny Breast 03. Um, we can also use uh, ticatinib with trastuzumab and, and capecitabine uh, in select patients in the second line setting as well. The way that I think about it is um, I will typically go to the tucatinib-based regimens if I have patients that have active CNS disease. For everyone else um, in the second line, I've started using uh, essentially trastuzumab deruxtecan. Um, and I think this is a particularly important shift as we're using TDM1 more and more in the adjuvant setting. As we start to get to the third line, um, here is where um, uh, certainly I'll use tucat the tucatinib-based regimens for my patients with or without brain metastases. Um, if you haven't used TDM1 yet, I think that this is an option you could potentially use uh, in the third line setting. And then as we get further out, um, we have other options like neratinib and capecitabine, which does have CNS activity. Uh, we have margituximab, that's the engineered trastuzumab with uh, chemotherapy. Uh, and then, of course, we have all of our historic regimens like his, uh, trastuzumab with chemo or lapatinib with chemo and so forth. Oh, I, I think I've learned so much. And you've described a really complicated space so beautifully. So it's been really my pleasure getting to work with you over these um, years, but also just in the last few minutes talking about her two positive antibody drug conjugates. So thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for joining us. Um, we encourage you to stay tuned as we have other podcasts coming, talking about antibody drug conjugates from HER2 on to TROPE2. Um, so we welcome you to join us there soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash solid tumors one. Look for all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services.